Okay, there you go. So um, I was just thinking this morning about that. Wouldn't that kind of be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if you could just do that with God? You could just kind of have an instant message conversation with him and, and talk to him and tell him, you know, God, I'd like to see you. I'd like to communicate with you. I've got all these requests and I've got all these things that I'm concerned about and that I'm worried about. And God, if I could just meet with you, if I could just program you into a GPS, you could answer all my questions and you could do everything I want for me just like I want you to. And God, I think that would be great. And so could you get on that? And I just think that would be nice, you know? The, the truth of the matter is, friends, and I really want you to understand this, is that you and I, the reason sometimes we have longings like this, the reason we have these longings is simply because you and I were wired to know God. You and I were wired to be able to know God. And it's sin and the devastating consequences of sin that sometimes make us feel like like this is difficult. And so sometimes we're confused because God seems so far off and, and we pray to him, you know, how do we even know if he responds? And sometimes I think it'd be nice to just get texted. You know, God, uh, I'd like you to do this for me today. And my phone beeps and I look and there's my text response from God or something like that. And for many, it's this unfulfilled longing to know God and to communicate with God. It's this unfulfilled longing that makes us question whether he even exists or whether he's there. If you've ever had moments of doubt, you understand what I'm talking about. And so if you're here this morning, listen, I want you to understand that the majority, of, I really believe, I guess, that the majority of you in this room truly want to love Jesus, and you want to know him more. And so you're tapping into this innate desire about how you're wired to know God. And some of you are just saying, God, would you just tell me? Would you just talk to me? Could you just give me the voice out of the sky or whatever that helps me know you more? In John 14, the disciples are kind of saying this. They're saying, Jesus, that's what we want to do. We want to go with you We want to be with you. We want to know you more. That's sort of what they're saying. They kind of want Jesus to program their GPS for them. Now, we're back in the Gospel of John. Thomas took us into the Gospel of John last week. And we took a break for Christmas time and spent some time in Luke. But now we're back uh, in the Gospel of John. And last week, um, we talked about this, this section that we're in really goes from chapter 13, verse 31, if you're looking at your Bible there, 1331, all the way through the end of chapter 14. And it's one idea and one thought here in this chapter. It it's all works together. And here's the framework for this, this section. In chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus says something interesting. He says, my children, look, look at the page with me if you have your Bible. Just look at this, what he says. 1333, my children, I will be, be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. I mean, that's disturbing news a little bit. Hey, I'm leaving, and you can't come with me. And so this raises a lot of questions in the minds of the disciples. Now, you and I, when we understand this passage, we go, oh, well, Jesus is going to die and he's going to go to the Father and then he's going to come and he's going to be raised from the dead and he's going to ascend to the Father. And that's what Jesus has in mind. But you have to understand the disciples don't get this. When they, th- when they hear Jesus is going, they don't understand what he means. 
So it leads to a series of four questions. And I would encourage you, if you write in your Bible, which please write in your Bibles, by the way, mark them up, write in them. You know, this text is for you. It's your Bible, so bring it and write in it. And I want, you to, I want to show you these four questions this morning. The first question that, that the disciples ask in response to this happens in 1336. It's what Thomas preached on last week. Simon Peter, when Jesus says, I'm going, kind of a natural question. He asks him, Lord, where are you going? And then the question two, Thomas says to him, so you have a different disciple in chapter 14, verse five, question two, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And then a different disciple, Philip in question three says, Lord, just show us the father. It's a question, but it's kind of a statement. Lord, just show us the father. That's enough. Can you just show us God? Come on, Jesus. And then all the way down in verse 22 of chapter 14, Judas, and this isn't Judas Iscariot here, this is Jude or Thaddeus, but Judas has left the scene, and and John lets us know that this is not the Judas that betrayed Jesus. So it's one of the other disciples. And he says, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? These four questions really form the framework of what Jesus is trying to communicate to us in this section. Today, we are going to deal with two of these questions. Question two by Thomas, question three by Philip. And these questions reveal to us something about the thoughts and intentions of these disciples. And I really think they'll reveal something about our own hearts as well. Now, here's what you have to understand. I believe that the intentions of the disciples here are honorable. A lot of times the disciples make mistakes. They do. They're prone to that. They misunderstand anything. But I think their intentions are honorable. The disciples are loyal We'll talk more about that later. They're determined, they're faithful to Jesus, and they simply desire to go with Jesus. Now, many of us here today can relate to that. I really think if we go around this room and say, you know, do you want to follow or know or understand Jesus? Do you want to go where he goes? I think most of us, not everyone, some of you got drugged here by somebody today. And, uh, but, you know, for the most part, most of us would say, no, I want to do that. I want to follow Jesus. I want to know his will. I want to go where he goes. I don't think there's anyone here saying, God, I don't really care about you. I'm just here. So most of us want to know him more and live for him. And it's just that sometimes it's really difficult to deal with that. And so the disciples are dealing with this desire to be with Jesus. They've given their lives to him. And they're they're dealing with that and this shocking news in, in chapter 13, verse 33, where Jesus says, I'm leaving and you can't come with me. And they've been through so much with Jesus. They're just wondering, Jesus, we come this far. Why can't we go the rest of the way? So last week, Thomas reminded us that Peter wants to know where Jesus is going and why they can't go with him. And Jesus tells him, Peter, I'm going to the Father. And then he says this interesting thing in in chapter 14, 4. He says, this is the last verse that Thomas had in this section last week. He says, you know the way to the place where I am going. You know the way. Now, you can understand the disciple Thomas is scratching his head a little bit. I know the way. Did you tell me the way? You see, the disciples are really thinking geographically here. They've always struggled. Jesus is talking in metaphor all the time. And the disciples in some way are like your four-year-old who can't 
understand metaphor, right? They take everything literally. And the disciples are constantly doing this with Jesus. And so they're thinking geographically. I mean, you know, when, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, they're trying to figure out, okay, how are you bread? Like, that doesn't even make sense to me. They just struggle with it. So now they're thinking geographically. So Jesus says he's going somewhere, and the disciples are thinking, okay, where are you going? Are you going to another town? You know, are you going to another country? You know, are you, are you like the Mormons, you know, the, the Mormon Jesus that comes to America? Is that where you're going? I mean, what's going on? Do you, are you going to an island somewhere? I mean, is there a road that goes? Why can't I walk on the road? Are you going to r- jump on a camel and go there? Or, you know, maybe you're going to get a ship. What, like a donkey? I don't know. What are you going to do? But they're thinking, wherever you're going, Jesus, I don't understand why I can't go with you. But see, what they don't understand is that Jesus isn't talking about a place as much as he's talking about a person. This is key to understanding this passage, okay? Jesus is not talking about a place as much as he's talking about a person. It's not where he's going, but who he's going to and who he is. But when we read this passage, we get sidetracked by two verses. Look at your text with me. Two verses that you've probably heard a lot. The first one is chapter 14, verse 6. You've heard this before. Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when when we read this passage, this draws our attention to the exclusivity of Jesus. Now, we live in a culture where most people want to embrace not the exclusivity of Jesus, but uh, the the tolerance of all religions and, you know, Most people believe, I think I read a stat, 52% of Americans believe that their religion isn't the only way. And so, uh, I mean, most people believe in some sort of tolerance. And and so we do read this passage, and Jesus is pretty exclusive in here. But if we get sidetracked by just this exclusivity of Jesus, we miss some other important things that Jesus is trying to say here. The other verse that we tend to get distracted by is John 14, 14. Jesus says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. And most of us read that and go, huh? Huh? Jesus, you didn't answer all my prayers. What's up with that? When we focus on only these two verses, we run the risk of really misunderstanding Jesus. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about these verses. It just means that sometimes we miss the point. We get so narrowly focused that we miss what he's really talking about and we don't find jesus like he intends us to do so today i want to talk about two questions two things that really help us to find jesus two thoughts that help us in this quest to find jesus to program him into our gps and find him and so the first concept is this life's destination isn't a place it's a person Right now, I want to deal with this first question that Thomas asked Jesus. When Jesus says, you know the way, in verse 4, you know the way to the place I'm going? And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? You need to understand that life's destination isn't a place, it's a person. So Thomas asks him this question. Now, here's what you need to understand some things about Thomas here, first of all. Thomas is a realist. In chapter 11, verse 16, I think it is, uh, when Jesus says... Uh, Thomas, I want to take you back. We're going back to Jerusalem. Thomas understands that Jesus was almost killed the last time he was in the Jerusalem metro area, okay? 
And so uh, he's not so eager to go back. But you know what Thomas says? He says in, the, in this great passage, he says, let's go. What is he? Uh, let me find it here. Then Thomas, verse 16 of chapter 11. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let's go with him also that we may die with him. He's a realist, right? And he's loyal. I mean, don't you see the loyal in chapter 11? He's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to go with Jesus. If we get killed, we get killed, but I'm not leaving his side. And so Thomas is a realist. He's loyal. He wants to do the right thing. He wants to be a good disciple. Wherever Jesus goes, Thomas is going. And so Jesus had basically told them that he's going to the Father to prepare a place for him. And so Thomas is going, well, Jesus, why can't we go with you? Thomas is thinking geographically. You see, Thomas thinks that the point Jesus is making is about the place he's going. Jesus thinks the point is about a person, him. Thomas wants to go with Jesus to the Father's house. But Thomas doesn't realize that the Father, God, is standing right in front of him. Thomas says, I want to go with you on the road. And Jesus says, I am the road. So then we come to verse chapter 14, 6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And this verse is exclusive. And the message is exclusive. But it's not multiple entry points to the Father. That's certainly not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying there's not a buffet option and you can't follow 27 different religions to get to me. I am the way to the Father because I am God incarnate. But the point isn't really that Jesus is the only guide on the road to the Father. The point is that Jesus is the point. And this is proved by the next verse. Look at 14.7. Jesus says, after that famous verse, he says, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Jesus, look, listen, Jesus is saying, I am all you need. You want to get to heaven so you can be with the Father, but you don't have to wait till you get to heaven. I'm here Right now, I am the way. Life's destination isn't a place, but it's a person. It's Jesus. Most Christians I know are exactly like the disciples. We're focused on a destination rather than a person. The most pressing question we think about is, will I go to heaven? Will my family go to heaven? Will my kids go to heaven? We basically, when we think this way, we basically say that life is really of very little importance. It's just all about getting to heaven. We're just biding our time in so many ways so that we can do our time, and at the end of the day, we can go to heaven. And Jesus wants you to understand today that the most important thing about life is not heaven, it's Him. The most important thing about life is Jesus. And you don't have to wait until you get to heaven to experience God. He's here right now, today. In the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is right here. This week I, I found myself jumping into this same, the same line of thought that says it's really just about heaven. I found myself kind of getting in that trap again. I was talking to someone, I don't even remember who it was, about the idea of heavenly rewards. That when we get to heaven, um, God says we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and there's going to be rewards and uh, and. We're sort of, we're on the hook for what we do in this life. It's a big, big deal, big concept that we often ignore. And I found myself in that moment going, Ugh. I mean, I, 
It's like, oh. And, th- and then I think, you know what? Praise God for the grace of God. At least I'll get into heaven. I mean, even in my own thinking, it's just, well, it's, if I just get in, that's good enough for me. And it's the great, I mean, there's nothing I can do to get into heaven. There's nothing I can do to earn eternal life. I mean, it's only by the blood of cro- the cross. It's only by Christ and what he's done. And yet my mindset is, well, I don't really care how I live or what I do with God right now as long as I get in. We live like this all the time. We think about heaven instead of thinking about Jesus. And we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to encounter God. He's living with us in the Spirit. The goal of heaven is Jesus. When you get to heaven, I don't know what you think about when you think about heaven. We have all kinds of misconceptions about clouds and angels and wings and things like that that will become, and that just totally non-biblical concept. But, you know, generally when people think about heaven, you think about well, what kind of place am I going to live in and who, what friends am I going to be hanging out with and what's going to be there for me and, you know, will I be loaded? Streets of gold everywhere, so sweet. If the street's made out of gold, imagine what my house is going to be made out of. And I can't wait. Maybe, you know, it'll be like I can go mountain climbing and I can do all this stuff. And, and when we think about heaven that way, we totally miss the point. Jesus is saying the point isn't about heaven. It's not about a place. It's about me. The reward of heaven is Jesus. He is our treasure. He is our great reward. The point of heaven is being with him. So life's destination isn't about a place. It's about a person. The next question we get to simply shows us this. If the first one is life's destination isn't about a place, but a person, the next one is look to Jesus and not around Jesus. Look at what Philip says. Philip sort of throws his hands up in the air, you know? He goes, okay, Jesus, you're confusing me. You make my brain hurt, you know? I don't even understand what you're talking about. So here, here's the deal, Jesus. Right now, you say you're, you're in with God. Just show us the Father. Just do it right now, and that's enough. That's all I need. And all I need is just a glimpse. Just show him to me, and all will be cool. So Jesus, could you just do that for me right now? I mean, that's essentially what, Tom, what uh, Philip is saying to us. And we get, another, we get this other disciple in the mix. You see, Philip wants to see the Father. That's what he wants to do. He wants to see God Almighty. Now, there's a problem with this request. If you were to flip back in your Bible to Exodus chapter 33, I'll read it for you. You don't have to flip there unless you want to. But Exodus chapter 33, it's really, really interesting. You'll remember this guy, Moses. Maybe you heard of him once or twice before. But um, Moses is, uh, you know, really represents the people to God. And God's pretty much ticked with the people and God's basically like, you know, Moses, I'm going to off the people here and my presence will be with you and we'll start over. And I mean, this God's not happy. Okay. And, uh, and Moses is pleading on behalf of the people. And so he, he basically says, God, if you abandon your people, your name will not be glorified in the earth. So don't do it. And God is just so pleased with Moses in Exodus 33. I mean, he's just so pleased with him. That basically God tells Moses, Moses, I'll give you anything you want. I mean, that's basically what God says. Moses, I'll give you whatever you want. And so Moses says, God, here's what I want. In chapter 33, verse 18, Moses says, show me 
your glory. Same thing Philip said, right? Just show, just show me. Just let me see it. Now, I love God's response. God says, okay, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. All right, so God, what God is saying is, listen, my glory is so great that if I reveal to you all of my glory in everything, you're not going to be able to live and stand this because it's too great for any person. So what God does is he kind of takes Moses and he hides him in a, in a rock face thing and he, he passes by. And then the end, it says God's backside is laughter, his entrails, like whatever the residual of his glory is, Moses gets to see that. And we find out later that it lit Moses' face on fire, kind of. I mean, he, he's glowing when he comes down from the mountain. And this is just like the entrails, like the residual of God's glory. I mean, it's a powerful thing. So what, here's what you need to understand. Philip wants to see the Father, but not even Moses could do that. What Jesus says, Philip, you need to understand something. I am the Father. I am God. All of God's presence is manifest in Jesus. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the, this is the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit. All of God's glory is manifest in Jesus. You want to see God, you look at Jesus. John says the same thing in chapter 1, verse 18 of this gospel. In his prologue, John said, No one has seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. You want to see God, you look at Jesus. God in human form. Philip was looking around Jesus. He's not looking at Jesus. Philip wants to see the Father, so he kind of takes Jesus, get me there. So he's looking around Jesus to the Father, and and Jesus is saying, you don't have to look around me. Look at me. I am God. I am God the Son. I am incarnate. I am God in human flesh. Now, what do we do? I mean, Jesus continues in this dialogue in John chapter 14. And he continues by encouraging them to believe in him. And believe me that, he, that this special relationship with the Father is there. And that he is God incarnate. And he says, in verse 12, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will, will, will do what I am doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask, Jesus says, in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. All right, so what do we do with this? I mean, is this, is this a wish list? Is this like, sweet Christmas Day, Santa takes everything I want, and he comes through. I mean, is this what this is? It's like, I get everything I ever wanted? Is, is that what's going on here? I would argue today that no, that's not what's going on. Because this verse has more to do with mission than a wish list. It has more to do with us staying on target, doing the things Jesus did, and not just getting our request granted. In verse 12, the, the big question was, 
you know, Jesus says, you'll do greater things than these. If you, if you follow me, you, you believe in me, you'll do the things I've been doing. Well, what have Jesus been doing? What are the kinds of things that Jesus did in this life? I mean, certainly he did great miracles and he healed people. And there certainly was a miraculous element. And, and Christians throughout the centuries, God has been working through them and doing miracles. And so, you know, certainly there's that element. But what's the main thing that Jesus did in his life? And all right, don't miss this. Okay? It's, in, it's verse 13. I will do whatever you ask in my name. What's the main thing Jesus did? Second half of the verse. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. If you can highlight or underline or circle or star or draw a huge arrow in your Bible to that verse, that's the one you can't miss. You want to do what Jesus did? Then bring glory to God. That's the point. The whole point of it is bring glory to God. Usually when we're asking God for anything, the anything, the whatever, we're not all that concerned about God's glory. We're more concerned with about what we want and our desires and our things. But when our mission is totally and completely and absolutely focused on the glory of the Father, that's when we're doing what Jesus did. John paraphrases this verse in his epistle, 1 John chapter 5. Throw that verse up there. John, same author, says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. I mean, John inserts the according to his will or for the glory of God verse. The kinds of believers, the kinds of disciples that get their requests answered, the anything, the whatevers are all focused on the glory of God. The point of prayer is to bring the glory of God. And this isn't about unlocking the secret of prayer so that God gives you whatever you want. You know, Thomas in message to me says he wants a Ferrari, I think. And I said, I don't know how those tires are going to hold to the streets of gold. You know, I mean, is that good traction or not there? Right? This isn't about the wish list. This is about staying on mission, being so consumed with God's glory that we're asking for whatever it would take to bring glory to God. That's not an easy prayer, my friends. It is not an easy prayer to say, God, whatever it takes, Jesus, in your name I'm praying, whatever it takes for my life to bring glory to you, right now I'm fully willing to embrace that. That's not an easy prayer. Because people die. People get sick. I just got an email. I went to India five years ago and there's a guy there in India by the name of Joab Lahara. And when I was there five years ago, he had a son who was 20 who was in college and, and getting ready. And, and his name was uh, Deku. And Deku was kind of in line to take his father's place in this key strategic Christian ministry in India. And I just got an email today, yesterday, that Deku died of an illness at 25 years old. And Joab said, Deku is with the Lord. Glory to God the Father. That's not the prayer that I want to pray sometimes, you know? The prayer I want to pray is the prayer that says, no, 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 God, just give me comfort and, you know, safety and, you know, don't ever ask me to go to a place like the Arabian Peninsula because that's crazy stuff. And don't ever ask me to actually, you know, do something that might make me lose money or, 
share and, and cause my friends to not like me because I'm talking about Jesus. And Don't ever ask me to do something crazy. Don't ever ask me to bring glory to God. God, I'm not interested in God's glory. What I'm interested in is in me and having a nice life. And what Jesus is saying here is, you want to you wanna do what I did? I brought glory to the Father. In fact, I brought glory to the Father by giving my life. And remember what Jesus prayed? He prayed, God, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, please take it. You know, I, I, do that one instead. That's what he prayed. It's not wrong to pray for those things, but he was fully and wholly committed to the glory of God. That's what Jesus did. See, that's when we look at Jesus. We don't look around him. We look at him and do what he did, bring glory to the Father. You see, you and I, we do look around Jesus all the time. And we think what God can do for us rather than thinking about what brings the most glory to God. And so, you know, I always struggle when people ask me to pray for their pets. <laughs> you know, I mean, I know you guys like your pets more than I like your pets. You probably like your own pets more than I like my own pet. All right. So, but, you know, I'm just like, okay. Or, you know, or you, we, most prayer requests we get are for Aunt Bertha's second cousin's wife's grandma's sister's dog's toenail, you know? I mean, like, okay, God. But, you know, I mean, when we're so consumed with the glory of God, we say, God, do whatever, whatever, I embrace it all. And I look forward to your glory being made manifest in my life. And I don't necessarily think it's easy to look at Jesus because the easiest thing is to look around him. I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm saying that's what Jesus is asking us, to be on mission, consumed with the glory of God. And so how can we live our lives in such a way that we continually pray for the glory of God to be revealed in our lives? I think that's what Jesus means here. I got an article. I don't know the date on it. It's from the Des Moines Register a while back. But... The title of the article is Climber's Death is a Sign of New Ethics on Mount Everest. The story goes that uh, this guy, David Sharp, climbed to the top of uh, Mount Everest. And on his way down, he wasn't pr- properly prepared. He didn't have oxygen. And apparently at the height of Mount Everest, you know, you, people can barely survive at that cold and with that little oxygen. And, and so um, basically what happened is there were other climbers going up to Mount Everest and nobody stopped to help him. Nobody offered their oxygen. Uh, nobody offered to help him. They just walked on by. And the article says, many of today's Everest climbers are on commercial expeditions, some paying tens of thousands of dollars to guides who are under fierce pressure to get their clients to the summit. In Sharp's case, about 40 people are thought to have walked past him. Everest climbers may be forced to decide whether to jeopardize their once-in-a-lifetime investment or help a dying person. I mean, that's mission, right? I'm on a mission to go to Everest, and I'm not letting anything stand in my way. But that's me mission. I mean, what if the point of going to Everest was so you could help the dying guy on the side of the trail? I mean... We get so focused with what we want and what we want to do that we forget that our life isn't about our goals and what we want. It's about the glory of God. The destination 
isn't heaven, it's Jesus, friends. And we should look not around him to see how he can satisfy our needs, but to him. Are you consumed with you or with living for the glory of God? All right, so in this book that Bob talked about, uh, Dr. Nabil Jabour, The Crescent Through the Eyes of the Cross, it's a great read. If you just want to even understand Muslims, this is an awesome read. And I uh, would encourage you to grab those from him. Uh, but uh, Nabil Jabour quotes an 8th century mystic. I have a hard time saying this name. Rabi'i al-Adawayawa, or something like that. <laughs> I just butchered that. All right. I don't even know. I think this is a, a woman. I think she's an 8th century mystic, mystic, but I could be wrong. It might be a man. I don't know. I'm going to go with a woman here. She says, Lord, why do I love you? Do I love you out of the fear of going to hell? If this is my motive, send me to hell. Or do I love you out of a motive of wanting to go to paradise? If this is my motive, deprive me of paradise. Oh God, please purify my motives. Help me to love you for your own sake. Because you are worthy of all my love. And all my worship. That's living life for the glory of God. Friends, today my encouragement to you is love Jesus more than heaven. And don't look around Jesus to get out of him what you want. Look to him. And allow your life to bring glory to him. Would you stand? I just want to read my closing prayer for you today. Stand with me right now. It's a charge, all right? I'm going to say this, and and we're going to charge out of here. My closing prayer is this. My prayer for you is may you leave here filled with a passion for the glory of God. May you care more about Jesus than what you can get from Jesus. And may his life be the point of your life. Amen.